Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, board certified psychiatrist in South Florida. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina. Are you ready to take the couch? Hey guys, it's Dr. Delvina, and I just wanted to tell you about the ways to follow me. So if you're listening to this podcast, I don't know what platform you're on, but I'm on all of the podcast platforms, Google, Apple, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and you can also follow me on my social media for those of you who found me through your podcast platform and not on social media. Some people have been following me on Instagram or Facebook, and that's how they learned about the podcast. But for those of you who learned about my podcast first, please feel free to follow me on social media. On Instagram and Facebook, I'm Dr. Delvina. The doctor is abbreviated as DR, and there's no period, so it's DR Delvina, which is spelled D as in Delta, E-L, V as in Victor, E-N-A. And let's see, I have a website. I mentioned before that the website was under construction, but the website is up and good to go. It is Dr. Delvina Help. So again, the DR is abbreviated DR, D as in Delta, E L, V as in Victor, E N A, Help, H E L P as in Papa.com, Dr. Delvina Help.com. So please. Go to my website, take a look, peruse the site, and see what's going on there. And uh, I'm also, let's see, where else am I? I'm in SoundCloud as well, but I'm not as active on SoundCloud as I am with my um, with my podcast. You know, this podcast has been up since May 2020 during the pandemic. And um, I just love talking about the brain and helping to educate people about their mental health and wellness so please spread the word, tell a neighbor, tell a friend, tell a family member, tell a loved one, tell a significant other, tell your ex. If there's something I've t- I touched on that really that you identify with and you want to share it with someone, share it, please. Hey, 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 guys, I'm on the couch again. I have, um, you know, the fathers are going to love this episode. All the daddy listeners, you're going to love this because Oftentimes, fathers are the ones who have the issues with this type of thing, as I'll call it. We're discussing something tonight that's very important and that affects a lot of fathers, a lot of families. We are discussing basically parental alienation, if you will. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. Um, I've been on the radio here in Miami discussing parental alienation with Rick Party when he was on Hot 105. And um, interestingly enough, a um, I will call him a friend and a colleague has been um, challenged with this situation over the last couple of years. On my couch tonight is Dr. Adrian N. Carter. Hey, Dr. Carter. Hey there. How are you doing, Dr. Delvina? I'm very well. Thank you so much. Are you ready to take the couch? Yeah, let's take the couch. All right. So I know people know you here in South Florida, but for my listeners who are over in Ghana, I have some listeners in Nigeria, I have some folks who listen actually all the way in Australia, which is like crazy to me, but social media just has such a wide stretch. For people who don't know you, I want you guys to know that Dr. Carter, he is an author. 
In fact, you got to grab his book, Let's Get Married and Do Everything Except Make It Last. He's written more than one book, but that book is actually what is what brought Dr. Carter to my attention regarding his family woes, his relationship challenges, <clears throat> pardon me, which brought about challenges with rearing his children. You'll hear his story soon. But Dr. Carter has a doctorate of philosophy and conflict resolution studies. He is the founder and the CEO of the Carter Development Group, LLC, also known as CDG. It's a leadership development, conflict resolution, and DEI firm. Dr. Carter, he is a trainer, a coach. He provides keynote addresses and facilitates interpersonal and organizational leadership that helps folks to resolve conflict by bridging the gap between persons and organizations by using something called the Ellison model. And I'm sure some of you who, you know, you may be familiar with conflict resolution, you're probably asking what's the Ellison model. We're not going to get into that tonight, but obviously it's something very instrumental in conflict resolution or Dr. Carter wouldn't be using it. I'm telling you, he would not use something that's not effective, but he has a strong educational background. He has been in higher education. He has served in numerous equity roles and has organized numerous events for cultural education and engagement. He's all about the community, man. Uh, and so his 501c3 nonprofit is to help educate men and boys on conflict resolution and equity matters. And I love what he's doing because he's actually giving men and young boys a platform to um, express themselves emotionally, as we all know, the stereotype of men is not to be expressive, but to just suck it up and, and just keep it moving as if they're robots and they're not human beings. Welcome to the couch again. Thank you. Honored to always um, have, uh, be in a space with you and, and sharing the space and having a conversation. So yeah, this is a very important topic. Looking forward yeah. to it. Yeah. And guys, while you're listening, if you're not on your Peloton, if you're not out walking, if you're not driving a car, please go on and get his book. Let's get married and do everything except make it last. When I started reading this book, I could not put it down. I was like, oh, my God, she said that that happened. And so I'm just going to jump right in and yep. talk about um, the situation that you had going on. I remember you and I were, we were speaking one time. And you were telling me how you and your wife at the time, she's now your ex-wife, were posting pictures on social media, on Facebook of you and the kids and her. And these pictures suggested that things were perfect, that things were fine and dandy, but they really weren't. No, they weren't. You know, um, I, I think like a lot of couples, you want to um, you want to have that ideal family uh, image of husband and wife and children. And you you try in a lot of ways to express that to the world, but a lot of things behind the scenes were going on. And you know, when I was going through my divorce, um, you know, number of people would say, "Oh man, I thought everything was great." You know, you all have a great presentation, but but things were spiraling out of control and had been for quite a, um, for quite some years. Okay, so let's let's just do some basics here how long did you guys date or court before you got married um about two years okay and how old were you when you guys started dating um i must have been around 24 um 25 because i got married when i was uh 27 
Okay. Okay. So 25, got married at 27. 27 is not that young. That's actually a pretty decent age. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I was either 20, I was, uh, I was either 26 or 27 around the time, but I know we, um, we had our wedding in 2007. My birthday is late in the year. So I was a bit, I was close to 27 at the time. And yeah, we've been dating for a couple of years. Okay. And what did you like about her? Um, you know, at the time, what the focus was really on us coming together to be able to have a family. Um, that was a, a, a pivotal part of the conversation. I think when you were dating. Yes. So you guys were dating and you were talking about, hmm, could you be a good father? Would you be a good mother? Uh, you were talking about starting a family and raising kids. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm. Yeah, we were. And uh, and, you know, for for other reasons, and in, in when we add the religious aspect to it you know, in terms of my um, upbringing and, and my father's a pastor. And so there becomes that expectation too, that's, that's playing not even a very background role, but a very, um, a, a very front-facing role that says, well, I need to be moving to this next step of being married and raising a family. And also, you know, for where I was at the time, I had finished my master's degree, um, I was the director of a department. Um, I was doing well mm -hmm. and, and I was in a very comfortable space. So it naturally felt like the next step was, well, okay, well now, you know, wife and, and family. And so those things came together to create that, to create the decision that that's where I want to go next. Okay. So there was some influence from your father, who is a pastor from, um, religion yeah not yeah you know my, my father played a role but just overall just just my religious background of and and going to church and still being active is that becomes the expectation you know so, stated and unstated yeah and when you say the expectation you mean the expectation of you're dating someone you're courting you're serious about that person your next step should be to consider marriage and consider starting your legacy starting your family having children so those things are sort of in um, in line with what's expected of folks who are in church. Right. Okay. So um, was there anything, did you guys argue at all? Was there anything that was challenging in the relationship? Do you feel like you were forcing the relationship or did it, did it feel like everything was just unfolding very easily? No, no, no. It, it, it felt that it was, oh, man, that, that's such an interesting question. Because yeah. it, it, it reveals a lot um, to dive into that aspect of it. Uh, the challenge was that there are obvious signs, right, that, that I didn't take as serious as I should have. Mm -hmm. And that's where the religious aspect came of it. Like, and when I talk about the religious aspect is that the conversation becomes, well, you know, God has a plan, let God's will be done. There, um, he, God is going to work it out, submit it to God. And it kind of has this, this air about it that kind of makes it feel more like something external is going to solve what is happening yeah. versus I need to be more in control of what my life is and what is happening. Okay. And, and so at that time, um, there were, there were signs, you know, one, one thing that happened, which 
um, I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've, I don't even remember if I wrote about this in the book or not, but I happened to go through her phone mm-hmm. and I, I know, and I, and I don't advise people to do that. Right. Gotcha. Um, yeah. But it, you were young, you were in your twenties. And I think that's when we learn not to go through people's personal property. Cause you learn things you may not be ready for. Right. You learn things you may not be ready for, but I knew at the time that going through someone's personal property like that is not, was not typical. And I wouldn't advise it. And I, in an instant, in a regular mm-hmm. instance, Don't do I, it. I would not have done it, but I did. And I did because I felt something, you know, women talk about their, their woman's intuition, right? I mean, I, I don't, I think intuition is intuition. Um, nonetheless, I looked and I read a message that said to her that she should not be getting married because she, her goal for getting married was to get out of her father's house, mm. that she had not lived her life yet, and that she was making a, a rash decision to fix something else as a problem. Wow. I read it. I saw it for myself. Damn it. Uh, so what, so Dr. Carter, did you think like, okay, she will change. She'll transition. She'll love the position of being a wife and being married and being in the house with being in the home with you, that it'll work. I think I, obviously you thought it would work. I, I did. And she was young. Um, she was four years, my junior. And oh, she was 21 when you so were 25, 20. when you yes, guys started so, so, courting. So she, by the time we got married, she was around 22 years old. Gotcha. And, and after seeing that, I talked to her about, it. I didn't say I saw the information, but I, I talked to her and I said, Hey, are you sure this is something you want to do? You're young. And I raised the same points that I saw in the text. I said, are you doing this just to move out out of your father's home. You know, you have a father who, and a a relationship that you don't like. They have a very bad or had a very bad and strained relationship. Mm -hmm. And are you sure this is something you want to do? And I I remember making a point to her like, hey, you don't know what it is to live on your own. You don't know what it is to be in your own space. Like you're, you're still in your parents' home. There's a level of autonomy. There's an experience and growth and development in, in having your own autonomous space. Mm-hmm. And she was adamant, like, no, this is what I want. I know what I want to do. Mm-hmm. These are, you know, here's X, here's Y, here's Z. This is, this is my life path and the way that I've laid things out for myself. And, and then you add that to the combination of the, where my spiritual leaders came into place and they're prompting in saying, yes, this is the thing that you should be doing. This is the getting married is the right thing for you to do. And those and those two things coming together um, led to me cementing the decision to move forward. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, though, what I realized is I, I really didn't have as much control or nor was I either I didn't have enough control or I wasn't taking the control of my own life that I should have been. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the hindsight reflection. But that's where I was at the time. And those and those are the factors that led to the decision. OK. Wow. So, you know, it makes me wonder if maybe she was misrepresenting as well. Uh, when you asked her, are you sure you're ready? She may have told you anything just to make it happen so she could get out of the house. 
So this may have been, and and wow, you, I don't think we've ever talked about this before. So this really, I've never, I don't think I've ever shared that before. Got it. Ah, see, this is what being on the couch with Dr. Delvina will do for you, (laughs) y'all. Like, you know, this is a whole analysis of your circumstances and it helps you to um, become more enlightened and more insightful about your own situation because certain questions trigger certain memories and people start putting things together and, you know, voila. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've never shared that publicly. I, 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 if I've ever spoken about that maybe once and I, and I hardly remember even because that's, that's such a pivotal, pivotal point in the whole, you know, in understanding and, and wrapping that part of my life. Okay. Wow. So, you know, I've, I've, said this before when people start out misrepresenting in the beginning of a relationship the relationship is doomed and so it may have been the relationship was doomed from day one and I I think it was um I think it was within the first six months you know I I never regretted being married what I've always regretted was not leaving sooner and if and if we want to go back as far as reading that text message, which I think was, was like a, like a, um, what's the word? Like it was foreshadowing, right? Mm. Yeah. You know, we could start there, but, but even after going through with it, um, my, my biggest regret in terms of my past decisions was not leaving sooner because there were, there were enough signs, even within the first five to six months that made it clear that this is not the place for me to be. Mm. And the first five or six months after you guys got married. Yes. Okay. Real quickly, what were some of the signs during, during those five or six months? The, the, the major sign was I noticed that there was a pattern in the relationship that things were just not what I wanted it to be. It, it was, it was unhealthy. I came home. I would come home from work with the idea that I'm coming home to my wife. And I remember saying to her one time, like, you come home like you're running from something while I come home like I'm running to something. Hmm. And, and that had a lot to do with her job. And, and, and she felt that her job was very heavy on her. And it's like she's, you know, she like gets in the door. It's like, it's like something's outside chasing her. But it was, it was not a very affectionate, um, loving space. And I and the glaring conversation that we had that, that you know, it, it should have been easy to make a decision like, okay, this is not the place for me, was I asked her uh, straight up, I said, what should I be prioritizing in this relationship? What should you be prioritizing in the relationship? How should, how should our priorities look? Mm-hmm. And, and after we went through, I asked her to humor me and we went through these series of questions and she answered them. And, it, and the result of it was, she felt that the priority of the marriage after God, she should be my first priority. And then what my second priority and my third priority should be. I said, okay. And then when she said, I asked her, what is her, what does she hurt? What does she think her priority should be? She said that her, fi- her first priority would be like her education, her career, her skincare, and then me. <laughs> I lie not. This was um, after you guys got married. This after we got. Why married. didn't you go get your marriage annulled, dude? <laughs> so, 
So and you didn't and, you didn't annul the marriage because of the religious stuff again. Exactly. You can't right. get a divorce. You right. gotta see it through. Gotta see it. You have through. to do all you can to make it work. Right. Damn. You know what? Church sometimes is such. Let me not say anything that will offend anyone. So but, I, 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 I'm, I'm with you. You know, um, the the church. My relationship with my father and my church space and my church leaders, um, has, um. There has been a 180 turnaround. There's so much transparency. My situation has caused deeper conversations in how we do things in, in that space and how yes. my family do things. Awesome. But you know, with with the but with that specific situation, I said to her, I said to her, you want me to make you my first priority, but I am like your fourth priority on your list. And she was like, Yeah. And I said, but how is that supposed to work? And she was like, I don't know, but that's that's how I feel. Oh, and yeah, she was selfish from the jump. And and at that point that I I I promised to my Lord above, I don't lie about any of these things. I've said this to you before. I don't need to lie because the truth is unbelievable. Right. I don't have to lie about nothing that's happened because the truth is unbelievable. Um at that point, we were five months into the relationship, and and I and I walked away feeling defeated, not knowing what to do, but mm. The, the problem that I had over the course of the nine-year marriage was me trying to prove that I should be a first priority. It was, I, I felt, you know, in hindsight, I kind of felt like this child who kept on trying to get a parental approval. Wow. Now, at this point, there were no children. You guys had not had any babies. You weren't pregnant yet. Correct. So how long after learning from her five to six months in that you weren't important to her, did, uh, did you guys get pregnant, conceive how much time? Um, probably about a year later. So with all this going on in your head, how easy was it for you to initiate coitus to want to have sex with your wife, knowing you were her fourth or fifth priority? Well, you know, I, you, you try to work past thinking about that um, and you try to let the, uh, the and, and you, you know, I'm, I'm still a young man, you know. Yeah, I know yeah. you, you were a, a, a buck. Yeah. You so were a buck. I was a, I was a hundred percent. I'm ready to go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, That's the thing about men. So if it were the other way around, she wouldn't be able to, a woman wouldn't be able to um, participate in lovemaking and doing those intimate things because women are so emotional, um, so connected to their brains when it comes to lovemaking and um, engaging in sex. I wanted to say the F word, but you're a preacher's kid. You're a PK. So I'm going to keep it clean on the couch. You, uh, okay. <laughs> if you want to play them games. All right. Um, <laughs> the um, it, it, it happened because remember part of Part of what the of our value system in the relationship was having children, right? That was that was still a monument in our dynamic. Um, yeah, but our, I'm sure you guys talked about having children, children in a loving relationship where there's reciprocity, consistent yeah. reciprocity. But because you were young, which is why for young folks who might be listening, considering getting married, don't get married in your 20s. Don't do it because you're not able to reason th through things such as this example right here. I, you know, and to a large extent, I agree because, um, you know, one of the things I learned um, a few years back was, 
you know, the brain doesn't fully develop uh, until a person is 24 years old. Exactly. Um, and their, uh, their ability to reason. And I, so if I'm marrying a 22 year old, like at this point, my children can't come to me and tell me anything about getting married before, before the age of 25. Just I say, at, I say before the age of 30. And, and I don't mind, I don't mind going to the age of 30, but from at least a mm -hmm. brain development standpoint, don't even, don't even talk to me. Right. Don't even like you, you, you can't even make good decisions. You can't fully exactly. make good decisions. Right. And yet. listen, that's, that's the brain in terms of its, um, physiological processes is not it doesn't even speak to the personality development like that's after 24 people really don't know who they are in their early 20s why would you get married to another person who doesn't know who they are either and try to struggle through something I'm sorry I cut you off were you gonna say no 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 I and I, I totally agree and um my my good friend who you know um from uh, when we used to be in these clubhouse spaces, um, we we've asked the question: um, At what age did um, someone did did the people feel that they had come to a place where they felt mature, they were making good decisions, and they felt they had a good grip on life? And both the men and the women um, in in our sample would say 33, 34, and 35 years old. Mm -hmm. Most of the men said 35 and most of the women said 33. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that I thought was extremely interesting, you know, to show that we, we have an understanding of where our development process is once we get past that age to be able to look back and see that not yeah. 22, 24, 26. That's, that, that's, that's not it. Yeah. Yeah. So you babies out there, uh, I don't have a lot of late teens who listen to the podcast, but if you're in your late teens, you happen to be one of few who are listening to the Brain Love podcast um, or you're in your early 20s. I have definitely several of you do not get married now. It's not a good time to get married. It's not a good time to problem solve in a relationship. You really have to just get to know yourself and um, get to know who you are first. Be sure that you love yourself and that you don't have baggage and that baggage is not necessarily from old relationships, but it's also baggage that's been created by the relationships in your family, not just intimate relationships, but the relationship with your dad, the, the relationship with your mama, you know, maybe a relationship with a brother or a sister who may have touched you when you were growing up, a relationship with your grandfather that's been unresolved. So these are the things you want to work on in your 20s. You want to work through that stuff so that you can prepare yourself to be the best wife or the best husband that you can be. Now, when you start getting past 25, you're getting there. You're getting there. When you're 26, 27, 28, there's so much soul searching that goes on. And I know it because I have a 20 something year old in my house. My son is 26. He'll be 27. Um, and I've been right there with him with that soul searching, but I digress. So back to you. And, and I have a hunch, Dr. Carter, this is going to be, we're going to need a part two for this conversation because I wanted to lay the foundation before we got into um, the challenges that were later presented with the children, because you can't gain an appreciation for what happened with the parenting and the disputes between you and mom without knowing what came first. Right. So you guys are newlyweds you you're walking around knowing you're number four or five on her list how often were you guys um intimate um we were not very um 
we're not very intimate. A big part of the, the challenge within the relationship I, was that sex became used as a weapon. And- um, Oh my gosh, why do women do that? You Were you using it as a weapon or was it her using it as a weapon? No, she, she was using it as a weapon. Yeah, which is a no-no. You know, ladies, I've told you before, that is a big no. And, and you know, I, I, one of the things I write about in the book is how people cheat with people, places, and things. You know, um, not just with people. I, I remember um, the, the setup that was just really bad, right, is, is that you're looking at, now in, in this process, I'm becoming increasingly annoyed, increasingly upset, increasingly angry. Because one, the, when she did show great interest in being sexual, it was when we made the decision like, hey, we, we want to have a child. And even, even how that decision came about, right, was still somewhat problematic for me. But it was once we got into this childbearing space, then it became something that happened. I remember we went to um, a, a therapist one time and we talked about that situation. And the therapist was like, well, yeah, a, a woman can wrap her head around having a child and be focused in because it has an end result. It's not for the pleasure of connecting with their mate. It's for the it's for the purpose of having a child. And so it's okay for her to cheat, not that it's okay or not okay, but she's mm -hmm. able to process that and engage in sex for procreation. And then after that happens, then it's like cut off. There's no recreation around it. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so it that that was very, you know, that was problematic. But it came to a point though where um, by the time we had our child, um, I clocked out of the relationship. And I think the, and that's where my, my biggest mistakes began in the relationship is mm -hmm. at the point that I clocked out. And I think it would have just been much better off again, leaving rather than staying and having bad behavior or counterproductive behavior. Mm -hmm. There's two people doing that. It's not going to, nothing good is going to come from that. Okay. Wow. So the first child was born. I guess, what, a year and a half after you guys got married, something like that? Yeah, yeah, we got married in like, you know, our, we had our first child, yeah, about two years later. Um, What I can't wrap my brain around is why you guys thought you needed a baby when you didn't even love each other. Like, how did, how did the two intertwine? That's the part I'm not getting. And then listeners, they didn't only have just one. They had two more. Two more, two more. Yeah, I because I think what was still you have you have this paradoxical dynamic that's happening. It's it's this cycle of you know in in the conflict resolution space we'll we'll call it um it's a conflict cycle um or almost like a sustainable conflict that's something that just just remains uh, intractable and it keeps going around. We had this dynamic of we're married, we're going to try to make it work, but we're going to try to make it work with these two set of rules, with these two different opposing set of rules. Um, her set of rules that says that she's first, um, she's, she needs to be prioritized. And then another set of rules where I feel that, well, 
I should be equally prioritized and and I should and certain things should be happening in the particular way that I would like to see them happen. And so you have a lot of arguments uh, because there's a breakdown in the, in the power dynamics, right? It's like we're both vying for power in the relationship and vying for control and, and some level of authority and autonomy. And, and, and so you have this back and forth, you know, where one person gets it, another person gets it. Nothing about it is healthy, but that's just the dynamics at the time. And in the middle of though, and in the middle of that, of that volley, you have this idea that, well, we've made a commitment to be together. We are, we want to have a family. Um, both set of parents um, are religious, have a religious background in these. And, and, and that was my next question. I was going to ask you if she was religious as well, if she yeah. was committed to the church, the same as yeah. you. Um, she, she had a, I, I don't think she was, she is not or was not as committed to the church in the same way, but her family is. And so there's this idea of reporting back to your family mm. certain, and maintaining certain expectations because you got to report back to your family. Yeah. And, and that is, and that family is tied into that religious, in, into their religious perception. Yeah. And so you have those things that's going on. Right? And, you, and we're trying to hold on to that so that so you still have this progress of well we're gonna we have a home and we're gonna have children and we're gonna do this but on the outside of that you still have just tremendous breakdown and arguments yeah. in that i want to i want to be explicit about something too the pressure on young adults when they begin to date when you're in the church when you're a pastor's kid when you're uh, when your parents are religious is that you're not dating to have sex. You're not dating to get to know yourself. You're dating to get married, you know, and as such children. a, pardon? <laughs> and have children. And have children at such a young age. Um, and that's so antiquated in a lot of our black churches. Um, you know, people should be dating to get to know one another and to get to know themselves. And sometimes for women, that's how they start to learn their bodies. Um, through association or dealing with their mate, with their partner. Um, okay. So you have the first baby. Do things get worse or better? Does she love you more? Because she's like, oh my God, this is this baby is half of him. I love him so much. Him as in you. Do things get better? It got or worse. It got worse. It got worse. And that's where, and, and that's where I turned on on her. In the relationship what do you mean by that um because now i i turn to you hurt me i'm gonna hurt you back hmm. and because the baby did not do that for us it did not change the dynamic and there was a very specific situation that happened that led me to that oh okay so this is what we're doing hmm. and again instead of getting out of the relationship right which Seems harder at that point because now you got a child, we own a home, and then you have these expectations that you have to meet externally between family, church, and 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 religion. And um, but that, but it got worse, you know. The the we I've always looked forward to being a father. Um, oddly enough, I didn't want to be like a teen father, but I wanted to be a father from when I was a teenager. Like I looked forward to being a father. Why? Why? Um, because of my father. My father was like, 
and is an amazing father. My father is very loving. Um, I grew up with my bonus mother and and after we are after learning through the process of how to get along and be you know and going through our trials but it it's I had a great home um my father is very affectionate he's very loving and I and I can remember him just holding me up I had that that Simba Mufasa moment with my father one time he held me up and I was looking at him and I just could feel the love from him. And I just, I always wanted to be at the opportunity to give that to my own child. So I, in my mind, from, from mm. look forward to being a father so that that's I could so, love my child. Yeah, that's so interesting because oftentimes it's the opposite. It's because I didn't have a loving household. I didn't have someone who loved me. So I wanted to have my own children. So I had, you know, someone who loved me back. I wanted the opportunity to do what my father or what my mother didn't do for me. Yeah. Oftentimes well, people who come from loving parents or a loving household, they are better at pacing themselves in their personal part of their life. I pace, I did pace myself mm -hmm. um, and to not have a child early. So my, my interest in it was um, in having a child didn't make me want to have it sooner, but it was always something I look forward to. And reminder to me, yes, you're, this is correct. You were 25 when you started dating your your then girlfriend and you were 27 when you guys got married so you had to be like 28 when you had your first child 29 yeah so yeah you're right so you're right so I um so I was no as a matter of fact you, you yeah around 27 around 28 29 and I um I was going on 29 that year and the the thing that happened was um, but after having our child, there was a specific argument that we had, and 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 it 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 struck me as just extremely odd the way that it the way the argument went, and in the argument, which it wasn't even an argument, because at least you know I, when I think about an argument, there's a back and forth. It was just me being cursed out, so it wasn't even an argument. It was. <laughs> Can she you laid, go to the kitchen? She laid you open. <laughs> yeah, she laid me. She laid me flat. She. It was. Can you go to the kitchen and get something? And I went to the kitchen and I got something for the baby. And there was something else that I was supposed to get, and I didn't get it. And she said, "Well, can you go back in there?" I was like, "Now nah, I don't feel like getting back up." I was like, "I'll get it when he gets up, and we need to, and we need it for his bottle, whatever it is. Then I'll go and get it." And I, 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 I don't know what happened. Something clicked in her and she just started to curse me out she was just like you mother blah, 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 blah. and she and I, I mean she really just laid into me and i was walking now i'm walking back to go to the kitchen i'm walking past the bed and i and i stopped and i looked at her and i said why would you talk to me like that i'm the father of your child and she looked at me i i'm I, I hate to say it in, in some ways, but it almost feels demonic, right? I mean, she looked right at me in my eyes and she was like, I don't give a fuck who you are. Mm. And, <laughs> and, and, and those, those words, wow. th there's something about those mm. words. And I, and I'll, and, and I'll, I'll, you know, since I'm on the couch, I'll, I'll be transparent to say, I think those words still, there's something about those words that just still like bite yeah. at me. Yeah. They bite at me. That's definitely some emotional verbal abuse. 
Oh, I, I, I wish she were on. I wish she was on the couch too, because I would love to to ask her about that moment and about the other moments when she gets angry and and just says. Oh, she, she, she's she's she was. It, it was a it was a it was a tit for tat verbally um, abusive relationship and physically abusive. The the only thing that I I know is that I don't I I could honestly say I was not want to initiate i was usually in a space of responding yeah um because that's not my temperament mm -hmm. I, that is really not my temperament and the irony about that is for people they get to know me they'd be like you know what you're real cool you're real calm and you're cool like I'm, okay i thought you were something not know like this is me like i'm really <laughs> so but when i'm in a space where okay well somebody's constantly coming at you you know after a while it it, it begins to change begins to change who you are and um and, and I allowed it to change um, who I was in a lot of ways. I, those words, the, the, the look and those words, I walked out of the bedroom and I went to adjust the thermostat. But in my mind, I was not adjusting the thermostat. I was taking my time card and I was clocking out of the relationship. And it was at that moment, that was a, transform, that was a transforming moment for me it, then it became, oh, F you, F you too. And yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully as we go along with um, these interviews, because there will be another one, guys, we have a couple of minutes left. We'll be able to answer why people conceive children in an environment that's not filled with love. Why do we do that? Why do we force a situation that is clearly not meant for us. And you said from the beginning, you felt like you were forcing something that wasn't meant for you. And mm -hmm. then once you started to see the signs that that was the story, you stayed in it. Um, do you think she loved you? That's the other question I would ask her if she was on the couch. Did you ever love Adrian? <laughs> I don't think she ever loved me. Uh, that that was a that was a reality that I had to accept um, at yeah. some point in the in in the in the marriage. I accepted that she never loved me, and it wasn't. Um, I I accept that there were other faculties that were important, and and well to to drive the point home. She she's as in fact has in fact told me. Um, I when one divorcing. I went through a stage where I was like, hey, can we reconcile? Can we still try to fix this? We could be better people for it. And um, I'm using the words like, I love you. I want to be able to do this. Can we? And she said, I, I remember saying, I married you because I loved you. And she responded and said, she married me because I was Black, handsome, Christian, and had a career. And I said, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that so I so <laughs> yeah, like I listen. I I pro, I wish I could make this up because it will make a good story to write, you know. But it's not. I don't. I like I said, the truth is unbelievable. Um, but I, it's those type of things that I've been told, and the, what the treatment has been that was like, hey, this is, you know, that drives the work I do now, right. To, to inform other men of how to navigate the space. 
to inform both men and women of how conflict arises in the spaces and how our social norms and our practices contribute to it and how we got to do things different. Thank you for sharing this part of your story so far. I'm flabbergasted. Um, like Christian, handsome, was that one? And educated? Mm -hmm. And had a she, career. Yeah, yeah, I had a career, yeah. All right, will you come back on the couch and we can move forward and get to baby number two, number three, and then to, do you have your children currently? No. How long have you been without your babies? Almost 20 months. Hmm. Almost two years. So she used you for your sperm. She used you to get away from her father. And then she used you for your sperm. You guys created three babies. Now she wants you out of their life. Yep. We haven't told the story yet, or you haven't shared the story yet, but I know, I know, you know, a little bit about the story. Um, and whenever a woman, and, and so again, guys, I, I've never spoken to her. I don't know her side of the story. There's always three sides to the story, but what you do see is the end result. And the end result is this guy doesn't have his kids. Now, what woman or what man wants to keep their children away from the other parent? Nothing was done to these children that rose to the level of keeping these babies away from their father. Nothing, nothing at all. So she used you for your sperm and, you know, and I, I think through all of her efforts and what's been going on, she's been trying to keep you out of their life. I think she would be very happy if you lost your, you lost your parental rights. I, I, oh, I'm, I'm certain of it. I'm certain of it. You know, and when you say nothing has been done, I mean, that to corroborate that, to, to reinforce that it's nothing as in all the investigations have revealed nothing all the the the, the deposition <laughs> I, I laughed because um you know even during the deposition my attorney was like do you do you know the of uh, the definition according to the statute of what abuse is because nothing you've said is that oh he's neglectful no, nothing that you've said is neglectful um so with all with with all of the accusations that's been made um Everything has been unfounded. Um, and, but then, but when you get caught up into the legal process, right, then it unfortunately has to run its course. And because accusations were made of me being an abusive father, they now have to dot all their I's and cross all their T's to ensure it. But that process takes a long time only to come out with, well, there is nothing. And um, so that's where we are and, and have been for quite some time. All right, guys, come back next week for part two with Dr. Carter. It's the end of an episode. Thank you guys for joining me on my couch. It's been a pleasure. It's Dr. Delvina. Remember, every day you must have brain love. Balance. You can't have all work and no play, and you can't have all play and no work. 
reframe, reframe your negative thinking. Think positively. Avoid negative people. Inside, everything you need, it's inside of you. Look inside yourself. Needs. Know your needs. Your needs come first, not everyone else's. Limitations. Limit your expectations of yourself. Ownership. Own your mistakes, learn from them, and move on. Vengeance is not yours. It's the Lord's. Express yourself. Every day, meaningful communication. Don't go to bed angry. And that's been my show, guys. Brain love.